You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And I am so excited about today's topic. So today we're answering the question, are e-cigarettes harmful? Now, this is something really near and dear to my heart. Um, I think I've mentioned this on past episodes, but I lost my father to COPD-related complications uh, in December 2019. He was a a two, three-pack smoker for like 50 years of his life, which led to some really terrible COPD and and cancer and all kinds of terrible complications. And so I'm just going to go ahead. Andrea, I haven't even put this on your radar, but I'd love to dedicate this episode to my father, uh, Jeff Steyer. And also this episode is going to air on World No Tobacco Day, right? Is yep. that right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't be more appropriate. No. So, okay, before we get into this topic, and we have so much to say that it's looking like this is going to be a two-episode topic, um, let's do a brief recap of last week. Andrea, can you do that? Yeah, so we talked about the science of tattoos, and um, we talked a little bit about the history of tattooing throughout human history, um, dating back all the way to 5000 BCE. Talked about some of the reasons and cultural implications of tattoos across different cultures and different indigenous um, people and then we really dug into the science behind modern tattoos so we talked a little bit about the actual process of tattooing but then we focused on the reason that they are permanent and that particularly relates to the immune response to the ink being deposited after all of these tiny needle pricks um, enter your dermis, which is that second layer of skin. And then we talked very briefly about the challenges of tattoo removal because of the immune response to the tattoos themselves and a little bit on um, the regulation of tattoo inks. We got such a strong response to that episode, Andrea. I think people had no idea that the immune system was involved at all with tattoos. So, yeah, um, I mean, I, I we got a lot of really positive feedback. A lot of people who had tattoos that were, you know, just really kind of curious about it. And I think, you know, it gives people an appreciation for the immune system. It's not just you know, preventing infections and involved in vaccinations. It's involved in so many other processes in our body. So badass. So if you haven't listened to that episode, we highly recommend that you check that out. So speaking of needles, um, Andrea, I don't know if you saw, but we hit over 40% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. Um, Let's hope that that number continues to climb. And I was just thinking back to when we got our vaccines. And wasn't that, it just was the most surreal moment. It just, it felt like we were really living a a, a piece of history that we'd be talking about for for decades to come. I know I was crying. My my (laughs) cheesy photo of me tearing up and having an emotional reaction 
I know you did. You felt the same. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's so emotional. It's really, I mean, it's really validating as a scientist in the field to see all of this innovation come to fruition. Um, And it's really funny now that, you know, we're, we're starting to, I mean, we've been in the lab, but we're starting to resume more kind of consistent schedules. And now, you know, our icebreaker conversation is like, oh, when did you get your vaccine? What were your side effects? You right. know, this is like the, instead of how's the weather, it's the let's chat about our vaccine stories, which I think is really hilarious. So do you want to tell these guys the good news? Yes. So (laughs) everybody, we're super excited. We've got a new partnership starting this week with Descent Pins. And they make pins, t-shirts, keychains, and more fun stuff that celebrate vaccines and science. And 50% of the profits from their vaccine products are donated to Voice for Vaccines. So after they got their shots, the staff at Descent Pins wanted to keep wearing their vaccine bandage on their arm for as long as they could. So they created a line of t-shirts with thanks science on the front and a big red I'm vaccinated bandage on the sleeve, which is so cool. I love it. Um, Get yours today at DescentPins.com slash vaccines. So that's D-I-S-S-E-N-T-P-I-N-S dot com slash vaccines. And use discount code unbiased15 to get 15% off your order. I cannot wait to rock my shirt. So cool. All right, Andrea, so before we dig into this episode, I thought it might be cool to talk a little bit about our past internships when we were doctoral students. Mm. Um, and, and before we do that, we, we have to give a shout out to our awesome interns. Oh, they're amazing. They're amazing with content creation and the development of our incredible infographics and, and support for the development of captions. These guys are great girls, I should say, are just absolutely fantastic, brilliant, and they give us hope for the future. But mm-hmm. all right, Andrea, tell us a little bit about some of your a past internship of yours while you were a student. Oh, man. So the way that my PhD program works, and it's and it's pretty similar to other biomedical PhDs, is you do rotations. So you do kind of mini projects at the very beginning of your graduate career to try and figure out what you want to pursue as your kind of, you know, your thesis project, your dissertation research, and ultimately also to kind of figure out what you might want to do as a future career. And so one of the labs I worked in was a toxoplasma lab. Um, So toxoplasma, which is toxoplasma gondii, is a parasite that causes toxoplasmosis, which is an illness or an infection caused by this particular parasite. It's the reason that pregnant women aren't supposed to clean the cat litter box because this parasite is transmitted from cats to humans and from other animals as well. And in normal healthy people. It generally causes uh, mild illness, if at all, but then the parasites actually form these dormant cysts in your body and most commonly in your brain. 
and they can live there indefinitely, right? They're not going to generally cause a lot of problems. But if you're immunocompromised, like if you're pregnant, for example, um, they can reactivate and they can be very severe. But the interesting thing about this is that this parasite is also related to malaria. So a lot of the um, research that's undergoing with toxoplasma also has potential implications for malaria, which is a very fatal um, and severe illness in many developing nations around the world. Um, I really loved that research project, but ultimately my heart lay elsewhere. And then I moved <laughs> on to, to other sorts of immunology research. But um, that was a really fun project to work on for, for a few months. That's so cool. And, and actually, toxoplasmosis, I have that to thank for getting me out of uh, cat litter duty while I was, <laughs> pun intended, while I was uh, pregnant both times. So, okay. So I had so many internships <laughs> when I was uh, a student, even before I even know, knew I wanted to get into public health. I did an internship actually in a neuropharmacology lab doing, doing preclinical bench research in a lab. Um, that was super cool. But not ultimately what I was passionate about. So once I was a, um, a doctoral student in public health, I took this internship. It's called the HRTP Internship at the New York City Department of Health. And I think that's an acronym for Health Research Training Program. I don't know. It's a public health internship that's been around for over 50 years. It's so incredible. Due to my um, my interest in tobacco policy, I was placed in their Bureau of Tobacco Control, and I was evaluating all kinds of tobacco-related policies. So I was looking at the impact of taxation on smoking behaviors. Something that was really cool was there was a, um, a Parks and Beaches smoking ban. Mm. And so we actually went out to every single park and beach across all five boroughs of New York City and we counted every single cigarette butt that was on the floor before and after the policy was enacted so yeah thank the interns out there because they were doing a lot of grunt work (laughs) yes Um, but that was really cool stuff and then they let me have some autonomy and come up with a a project of my own and I was really interested and it's actually a a kind of a segue for today's topic but I was interested in non-daily smoking so social smoking among young adults and college students in particular and something that really fascinated me was this you know do these people even identify as smokers? And what I found through focus groups and surveys is that no, they don't. They consider themselves something entirely different. So when you have a clinician ask you, you know, are you a smoker? You're going to miss so many of those social smokers. And relevant to today's topic, you, you'll you also likely miss many e-cigarette smokers. Mm-hmm. So that identity is really important there. So I often tell folks, Um, You know, if you're a clinician, you should instead ask, you know, are you a smoker of cigarettes or e-cigarettes? And then taking it a step further, you might want to say, you know, how many cigarettes do you smoke? And that'll capture those non-daily or social smokers. So anyhow... Such a cool experience. Can't recommend it highly enough for anyone who's in uh, public health located in the in the New York area. So, all right, let's get into today's topic. So, again, we're going to answer, are e-cigarettes harmful? So let's 
set the stage here. So e-cigarettes were developed in China in 2003. They were introduced in the U.S. in 2007, and they were pitched as a healthier alternative to smoking traditional cigarettes with the purported aim of helping smokers quit. Now, we're going to get into whether or not that's true uh, in just a little bit. But the the e-cigarette market or vape market is huge. So it was valued at around $15 billion in 2020. And it's ex- expected to expand um, at a compound annual growth rate of 28% from now until 2028. And so... There's this growing emphasis on adopting safer alternatives to smoking, and that's really anticipated to drive the adoption of e-cigs and vape devices over this forecast period. And again, we're going to talk about whether or not e-cigarettes are actually safer um, than traditional or combustible cigarettes. Now, Jess, I I know, I mean, this is your wheelhouse. I mean, I'll talk a little bit about the science, you know, the cellular science, but this is really your jam. But it's funny because, you know, I was a smoker for a couple of years, more than just a social smoker, you know, a daily smoker. And actually, I was quitting right around this time that these e-cigs were entering the U.S. markets. And I remember hearing a lot about them um, in commercials and things like that. So can you kind of take us through, you know, how these were marketed, how they kind of came to be, where they sit in the industry, kind of when we talk about nicotine products? For sure. And and honestly, that is a very big topic. And I, I'd love, I really want to dig into how regulation has changed o- over time and, you know, uh, what the industry is looking like and how it's evolved. But really, the lines between the vaping industry and big tobacco or the tobacco industry have blurred. So if you know anything about the tobacco industries, you've heard of Altria. So they're this monster in big tobacco. They're the maker of Marlboro and Skoll. They have invested more than $12 billion into Juul. And I'm sure you've heard of Juul. They're one of the most popular e-cigarette brands that are extremely popular with young people. Actually, the investment represents a 35% owner stake in Juul. Now you have to realize that if you're the tobacco industry, you know, they're getting hit with all kinds of regulations. The science is so clear that that cigarettes and and smoking are terrible for your health. We see a very clear causal relationship between smoking and cancer and all kinds of other diseases, cardiovascular health issues, and and again, lots of terrible health outcomes. And so e-cigarettes kind of represented a brand new way for them to, you know, continue to be profitable. And it's really kind of been a rebranding of sorts for the tobacco industry. And I think that, you know, it's been hard for many scientists, myself included, to to get on the e-cigarette bandwagon. And 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 that's why we we really again, we're gonna talk about this. And if they are truly intended to help with smoking cessation, and, and we have seen stories of people who have been lifelong smokers who found e-cigarettes, you know, as a helpful way to help them quit or to reduce smoking, but we know that that's not, that's not 
really the the case here that that's not the only focus we know that they're marketing so heavily to to teens and to children i know we're going to talk about flavors and so the big concern is is smoking initiation among people who never picked up a cigarette these are non-smokers these are kids these are teenagers and they represent a whole new market for Mm -hmm. e-cigs want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And and I rem- I you know read you know initially that that these e-cig products were not regulated, right? Oh gosh, right. Right. There was no regulation when they initially hit the market. There was no regulation. So it was like the Wild West, right? Quality control was all over the place. It was of great concern. E-cigarettes could be sold and were heavily marketed to children. This all changed in August 2016 when the FDA began regulating these products. Mm-hmm. But it's a massive endeavor. There are over 450 brands of e-cigarettes on the market. And it's, yeah, there's a lot more work to be done on that front. And according to the American Lung Association, 20% of teens vape. And many scientists, as you just mentioned, fear that this actually can be, instead of a cessation you know, mechanism, it actually can be a gateway to smoking, other types of nicotine use, et cetera. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, so let's, let's kind of discuss, set the stage, what is an e-cigarette? Okay. So to start, e-cigarettes, if you're picturing an e-cigarette, you could be picturing lots of different things. They come in many shapes and sizes, but the, the common thread is that most have a battery, a heating element, and a place to hold liquid. So e-cigarettes produce an aerosol by heating a liquid that usually contains nicotine. It doesn't always, but it usually does. And we're going to talk about nicotine, but that is the addictive drug in regular cigarettes, cigars, and other tobacco products. And there are also typically flavorings and other chemicals that help to make the aerosol. And so users will inhale the aerosol into their lungs. And then, of course, when they breathe it out, bystanders can also breathe in the aerosol, you know, upon exhalation. So it's not a traditional smoke when we think about a cigarette burning, but it is, you know, a a substance contained in the air that can be breathed in by passersby. Exactly. 
Now, e-cigarettes are known by many different names, and we may alternate what we call them in this episode. Sometimes they're called e-cigs or e-hookahs or mods or vape pens, vapes, tank systems, sometimes jewels. Again, jewel is a very popular brand. Um, in, in the scientific literature, you'll often see them referred to as electronic nicotine delivery systems or ENDS. <laughs> are you chuckling? Yeah. <laughs> there always has to be a scientific term. Always for- <laughs> has to be a scientific term. And, and really, it's interesting because some e-cigs are made to look like regular cigarettes or cigars or pipes. Some resemble pens, USB sticks, um, and other everyday items. And then larger devices such as tank systems or mods, they often don't really look like traditional tobacco products. And then, of course, maybe worth mentioning that some people use e-cigarettes to deliver marijuana or other drugs. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're so cute, right? now <laughs> i'm sorry i mean that's the that's the only context i've i've ever used or seen them in. no <laughs> well and you know i should be totally transparent here i have used e-cigarettes and you know what you know what drew me to them the flavors and we're mm. we're going to talk about talk flavors. about those so, flavors oh my god there's a smorgasbord of flavors apple vanilla strawberry peach cotton candy i was doing a quick search and one online distributor touts 300 flavors for the more you know traditional person there's also tobacco flavors and and menthol flavors and really Oh, I get so incensed when I look at some of the advertisements because they're mimicking so much of what we saw like 30, 40 years ago in tobacco's Mm -hmm. heyday where you're making it cool. It's appealing to kids, you know. It it just, anyway, yes. I think I have, honestly, PTSD from from those old ads. So, yeah, I mean, I totally, (sighs) and honestly, as someone who kind of, I used, you know, I'll be be perfectly transparent. I used the nicotine patch, um, what Mm -hmm. is it, nicoderm, Mm -hmm. um, to quit smoking in college. And and that was very effective for me. And now, actually, the smell of cigarette smoke is, is very, very off-putting. It makes me physically nauseated, which I'm grateful for. But certainly you could imagine if something is going to be peach-flavored, that's mm-hmm. not nearly as off-putting as as that cigarette smoke smell. Right. So the e-cigarette aerosol that people who are, are smoking them will breathe in and then exhale, it contains harmful and, uh, well, either definitely harmful or potentially harmful substances. So nicotine, which we're going to talk about, ultra-fine particles that could be inhaled deeply into the lungs, flavorings such as diacetyl. Am I saying that right, Andrea? I've only ever yeah, read yeah. it. Yeah, diacetyl? yeah. Diacetyl. Okay. Diacetyl. Yep. Okay, which is a chemical linked to a serious lung disease, volatile organic compounds or VOCs, cancer-causing chemicals, and heavy metals. And oh, Andrea, do we hear about heavy metals all the time, such as nickel, tin, and lead. Well, and Jess, I think it's important here because... You know, when, and I'm not going to get too into the nitty gritty science here, but when you inhale something, you have very thin membranes on the tissues inside your lungs. And it is very easy for substances that you breathe in to diffuse into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Actually, in many cases, easier for them to get in that way than, say, intramuscular injection. And I can't wait. I know you're going to talk to us a little bit more about um, what nicotine does to our bodies and in particular our immune system. So yeah, stay, stay tuned for that, folks. 
But just to um, to talk just a, a little bit more about marketing, and there's so much I could say about this, but there's been some false advertising. So, for example, we know that some e-cigarettes that are marketed as containing 0% nicotine have been found to contain nicotine. We also know, again, I feel like this is the hundredth time I've said this, but so much of the advertising for e-cigs is heavily aimed at adolescents and teens. So billboards and, you know, radio spots and, um, I don't know, the packaging, the product itself, these are all designed with with children in mind. So we know social media is a major playground for e-cigarette advertisements. So from 2014 to 2016, advertising for vaping exploded. One study found that almost 80% of middle and high school students had been exposed to at least one advertisement. So again, pods are coming in fun packaging, all these different flavorings um, with everything from mint, gummy bear, frosted sugar cookie. Obviously, these are being created uh, with kids in mind. And we're going to talk about utilization among kids, but this is really a booming industry and it does not seem to be on the decline yeah it's troubling so yeah I, it's it's so you know I I just remember being a teen and you know trying to find someone older to buy us packs of cigarettes and you know mm-hmm. I feel like although you know you mentioned there are regulations now you know as of 2016 which is still pretty recently I feel like they're not taken as seriously when it comes to e-cigs as compared to traditional cigarettes. And it, and it, and it brings up the question, you know, well, you know, how do they actually compare to cigarettes? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. So I always preface this with, let's be honest. If we're comparing e-cigarettes to traditional cigarettes, they, they, there is no doubt that there are fewer toxic chemicals in e-cigarettes than traditional cigarettes, and we're going to talk about that. So we're talking about harm or risk reduction, but certainly not elimination. So we're not saying that e-cigarettes are safe. We are saying that, sure, they're safer than cigarettes, but again, they are not safe. This is why, again, if, if you're a smoker looking to use e-cigarettes to quit, that's one thing. But if you're picking this up as a brand new habit, you're a teenager, you're an adolescent, you're a non-smoker, that's not great. Yeah. So That's exactly the point I was going to make. I was saying, you know, if, if your normal behavior is something extremely r- low risk, like not smoking anything, and then you start even using e-cigarettes, that's an increased risk. Whereas if you're going from a traditional smoker and kind of stepping down, as it were, to Mm -hmm. e-cigarette, that's a very different um, situation. For sure. So regular tobacco cigarettes, this is terrifying. They contain upwards of 7,000 toxins, including 250 poisonous and 70 cancer-causing chemical compounds. There's so much variation in e-cigarettes that it's hard to pinpoint that number as easily as it is for combustible cigarettes. But again, you are exposed to fewer toxic chemicals, but that does not mean that there are no toxins. And we're going to talk more about that. So we had a lot of questions about secondhand smoke. So it's been well established. There's no level of secondhand cigarette smoke that's safe to breathe, right? E-cigarette emissions, on the other hand, again, they contain far fewer toxins in part because the vapor is not a byproduct of burning organic matter, but of heating the nicotine-containing liquid, which causes it to vaporize. 
However, there we've seen an outbreak of lung injuries and deaths associated with vaping. So as now, a, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are acute injuries, right? This is not from chronic long-term use because we don't. Or have as I would assume, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. these have not been on the market for quite long enough to collect a lot of that retrospective data. Exactly. That's exactly right. We're talking about acute illness injuries and deaths honestly associated with vaping but because you know they they haven't been um, around for more than 20 years we don't have the long-term data that we do for traditional cigarettes right but that being said we do have some data so the CDC so this is as of January 2020 the CDC confirmed 60 deaths in patients with e-cig or vaping product use associated lung injury so that's actually um, we we shorten that as EVALI some people say EVALI so again that's e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury so this is a known phenomenon these cases appear to predominantly affect people who modify their vaping device or use black market modified e-liquids, especially for vaping products containing THC. The CDC has also identified vitamin E acetate as a chemical of concern among people with Evali. So vitamin E acetate is a thickening agent often used in THC vaping products, and it was found in all lung fluid samples of patients with Evali that were examined by the CDC. Sorry. Oh, I'm just going to say, I mean, it's it's scary to think of the fact that there's a black market um, for these products because we already know that, and I know we're going to talk more about this, but we already know that there are dangers associated with them, and by having or adding additional unregulated parameters um you know you could certainly understand the the potential dangers of that mm-hmm. and I know we, we're about to pivot in, in a moment and talk about nicotine but it's interesting to me that many e-cigarette users get even more nicotine from an e-cigarette than they would from a tobacco product and this is because people buy extra strength cartridges which have a higher concentration of nicotine um, or you can actually um, adjust and increase the e-cigs voltage to get a, a greater hit of the substance well and also when you're using an e-cig versus a traditional cigarette right you're when you're smoking a cigarette you're inhaling smoke and you're exhaling smoke and there's you know some of it is this kind of psychological process right whereas with e-cigs you know I mean I haven't kind of personally partaken but you can see people kind of just doing it mindlessly like at all times and you could imagine that cumulative use time may even be longer 100%. And actually, you're touching on a really important point. Because it's not combustible, it's actually easier for people to take in a deeper inhalation of e-cigarettes. And just totally unrelated, but I always think this is an interesting fact. That's actually why menthol cigarettes are associated with poor outcomes. Because smokers of menthol cigarettes, menthol actually numbs. There's Mm -hmm. a numbing component. So it allows people to take a deeper inhalation of of menthol cigarettes in particular. And there's so much I want to say about this we know that menthol cigarettes have been marketed to persons of color in particular so there's been a whole lot of controversy around menthol anyway sorry total 
non sequitur. Let me get back. No, no, I, I, I think it's um, super important. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, health health outcomes and and kind of um, you know racial disparities mm-hmm. is a topic for another <laughs> episode. But I think I think what you're touching on there is that it really penetrates so much that um, many people don't even realize. So let's talk just briefly about how many people are smoking. So we know that over the last 20 years, there's been a decrease in the number of teenagers smoking combustible cigarettes. We know this because there are incredible surveillance systems. One in particular is the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, um, often shortened as YRBS or YRBSS, which, uh, so we're collecting data that that are nationally representative. And we see that there's been a demonstrated um, decrease in the number of teens trying combustible cigarettes from 70% in 1991 down to uh, just over 58% in 2003 and then even further down to 29% in 2017. And this, you know, there's been so much work done by public health professionals and advocacy groups and clinicians and lawmakers. You know, there, there's been a massive education effort However, we're seeing an explosive rise of adolescence vaping and this renormalization of smoking. So recent national surveys demonstrate a drastic increase in e-cig use among high schoolers. There was an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that reported a 10% increase in adolescents using e-cigs between 2017 and 2018 alone, which is approximately 1.3 million teenagers. Mm, That's a sobering statistic, Jess. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's good to see that the efforts that are being waged to reduce traditional smoking are working, but Mm -hmm. um, but it is very concerning that um, a lot of teenagers in particular are falling prey to the appeal of e-cigs. Mm-hmm. So I think we should turn now and talk about nicotine and what it does to our body. I'll I'll kick things off here, but I'd love for you to kind of get into the biology of it all. So nicotine is an oily, colorless to pale yellow liquid. It also comes in powder form. When warm, it actually has a slightly fishy odor. It could be absorbed into the body by ingesting it, inhaling it, or through skin contact. And in high levels, remember the dose makes the poison, nicotine can lead to poisoning and death. But the most common problem with nicotine is its addictiveness. So we know there's so much research to support how it changes, how the brain works, um, and it makes people crave tobacco products. So nicotine is a chemical. It contains nitrogen. Um, It's made by several types of plants, including the tobacco plant, and it's also produced synthetically. So I'm probably butchering this again. So many of these words I've read for so many years, but I've never said out loud. Nicotiana tobacco, that's my best shot at that, is the type of nicotine found in tobacco plants. And it comes from the nightshade family. And red peppers, eggplant, tomatoes, and potatoes are other examples of things in the nightshade family. So back in the 1800s, um, Wilhelm Heinrich Posselt, a doctor, and Carl Ludwig Reinmann, a chemist, both from Germany, they isolated nicotine from the tobacco plant and they identified it as a poison. By the end of the 19th century, people began to realize the harmful effects of nicotine, and laws were passed banning stores from selling selling nicotine to minors in 26 states by 1890. 
And it wasn't until 1964 that the Surgeon General of the U.S. published a study, everyone knows the study, that linked smoking with heart disease and, and lung cancer. And then the FDA took until 1994 to officially recognize nicotine as a drug that produced dependency. Isn't that kind of shocking? 1994 yeah. doesn't seem that long ago, right? No, it really doesn't. I mean, you know, 30 years between identifying I mean, you know, essentially fatal health conditions associated with smoking before um, FDA essentially got involved. And then even after this landmark recognition, the FDA was not granted control over nicotine regulations by by the Supreme Court until June 2009. So there's something called the nicotine effect. So some people smoke because they they, they find that nicotine has a sedative effect for them. So for some people, if they're feeling anxious, smoking will actually calm them down. For other people, it acts as more of a stimulant. So we often see that smokers will reach for a cigarette first thing in the morning. It stimulates them. It helps them get their day started. It's actually one of the ways that we measure addictiveness to smoking is how quickly after waking, we see a a person smoke a cigarette so anyway this shift in the nicotine uh, we can see a shift in this nicotine effect that varies with addiction tolerance and changes in dosages yeah it's really interesting Mm -hmm. you know when you look at especially you smoke you know people who use nicotine that are in fact addicted you know the sedative effect increases as they smoke more and more because not only is it an addictive substance, but your body also develops a tolerance to it, which is why you see lifetime smokers smoking more and more and more as years progress. So Andrea, can you talk to us about nicotine and what it does to our body? Yeah, and I'm not going to get too much into the the um, nitty gritty briefly, but you know, as Jess just mentioned, nicotine is a naturally occurring substance, and so you know, once it enters our body, it's going to interact with our cellular, um, you know, processes, and so nicotine binds specific receptors in our body called nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, and these are found in a variety of places in our body, but including the central and peripheral nervous system, so our brain, our spinal cord, and then other nervous system regions in our body, also in the our muscles, and then in other tissues of our bodies. Um, they're also found in certain cell types of our immune system. Now, when these receptors, which are basically in or on different cells in these different regions of our body, when they bind nicotine, there's a variety of different processes that occur. So basically, these receptors are little proteins, uh, nicotine binds to it like that lock and key fit that we've talked about with other things. And that triggers a reaction. And when we're talking about the brain in particular, so when you inhale nicotine, it diffuses into the bloodstream extremely quickly after inhalation through those very thin membranes that we were touching on earlier that are in our lungs and they enter uh, the circulation. They get to the brain, they bind those receptors in the brain, and then they actually cause the release of neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are chemicals that signal to our brain. And one of these that is released when we smoke is dopamine. And if you guys have ever heard anything about dopamine, that's commonly called our feel-good neurotransmitter. So that's something that people that have depression have reduced levels of. And so 
anything that's causing the release of dopamine is going to be what we call a positive feedback loop, meaning both physically and psychologically, we're going to want more of that substance. And that's kind of where that craving comes into play. In addition, it also, as I mentioned, it, it is these receptors are found throughout other regions in our body. And so you also have that kick that's associated with stimulation of our endocrine system. So nicotine stimulates the adrenal glands, which result in the release of epinephrine, which is also called adrenaline. And that stimulates the body further. You're going to see stimulation with your muscle, with your cardiovascular system, and it also causes a release of glucose, um, which is also involved in endocrine signaling. And then it also causes increased heart rate, increased respiration, and increased blood pressure. In addition to that glucose release, so glucose is involved in insulin signaling. So nicotine it has a positive effect on glucose, meaning it increases the release of it. It has a negative effect on insulin. So it actually inhibits the production of insulin by the pancreas, which actually leads to an increase in blood sugar as well. Mm-hmm. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. So what you're saying is that the nicotine itself, which again is in the majority of, of e-cigarettes that people and teenagers are are inhaling, the nicotine itself is having these direct negative impacts on our body. Absolutely. Now, you know, and, and, you know, I was going to talk about this a little bit later in terms of, you know, the effects on the immune system, but maybe it makes sense to do that now. Yeah, 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 for um, sure. Really quickly. So, so when we're talking about the immune system, so nicotine actually has what we call an anti-inflammatory um, response in the immune system, which isn't always a good thing. So if you heard our episode about boosting the immune system, you want a balanced immune system. So your immune system is always undergoing these cycles of increasing inflammation, decreasing inflammation, and that's involved with regular immune cell processes. It's involved with surveillance and making sure we don't get infected by pathogens. It's involved in making sure wounds that we get heal. And it's also just ensuring that our body is healthy. So nicotine can suppress the immune response, kind of broadly speaking. It has very broad effects. It can decrease the production of specific cell types that are needed to help make antibodies, Um, not B cells themselves, but other cells that are involved. 
they also nicotine also decreases the proliferation of a particular subset of blood immune cells that are required to help maintain our immune system and it also reduces the secretion of cytokines which are very important signaling proteins that immune cells secrete now interestingly that effect has been shown to potentially be beneficial in people that have autoimmune disorders or neuroinflammatory disorders because they have hyperactive immune systems. So by using nicotine, it kind of brings that hyperactivity to a lower level. But again, that is a rarity and there's still obviously research going on there. For the vast majority of people, because nicotine has this kind of broad systemic immunosuppressive effect it makes people more prone to opportunistic infections we also know that it causes direct tissue damage it inhibits um, the proliferation of cells so you're not regenerating cells that die as quickly and then it can also um, affects how quickly you can recover once you are sick. In addition, nicotine can also damage cells directly um, and lead to a variety of the processes that we know are actually involved in the progression of cancer. Um, and that's separate from the other chemicals that are in things like cigarette smoke. You know, that's so interesting. I'm obviously, I represent an N of one, but I, thinking back, when I would smoke cigarettes or e-cigarettes, I feel like I was more prone to getting sick. I wonder, <laughs> um, you know, really, if you're saying that there is a suppression of, of the immune response there. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously, it's multifactorial, right? You have the actual tissue damage from smoke itself. We know smoke inhalation, it, you know, it's killing these these epithelial cells in your respiratory tract, which obviously can make you prone to infection. But, but yes, the nicotine itself can have these systemic effects on um, on on your immune system. And just to be clear, guys, I'm a scientist, so I realize that obviously, A, I'm an N of one, and B, there are tons of other factors that could have contributed to my getting sick. So for example, if I was if I reached for a cigarette, perhaps I was under more stress or very anxious, or maybe I was going through a particularly self-destructive <laughs> point of my life. So anyway, just wanted to make that clear. So, you know, I'm trying to be mindful of time. I just want to talk a little bit more about nicotine, and then I'm wondering if maybe we you know maybe this is just mm -hmm. a good place to stop and then pick things up next week and we've got a lot more to say um, yeah I, th I think that yeah. I think that makes sense because I know we want to talk about some of the other potential harms of e-cigs but I yeah. think that could be quite a comprehensive it's a discussion it's yeah. a beast there's a lot <laughs> so I'll I'll just maybe start closing things by saying that one e-cigarette refill pod can contain as much nicotine as an entire pack of cigarettes. And for context, we know that some kids are vaping two to four pods per day. This is really troubling. So we know there have been many preclinical studies, so many studies, we can cite these on our show notes, that show that nicotine is a neurotoxin. Um, it's a poison that affects the nervous system. Um, it could affect brain development from early fetal life through adolescence and can permanently alter some of our brain chemistry and change the ability um, to think or to reason. There are 
so many known health effects of nicotine. So for starters, again, we know it's highly addictive. We know it's toxic to developing fetuses. We know it's harmful to adolescent and young adult brain development, which continues into the early to mid-20s. And then for sure, we know that nicotine is a health danger for pregnant adults and their developing babies. So absolutely not advised to smoke e-cigarettes while pregnant. Andrea, I think you touched on this, but we know that indirectly nicotine causes the release of dopamine, Um, in the pleasure and motivation areas of the brain. And this is really similar to what occurs when people take heroin or cocaine. You know, the the drug user experiences a pleasurable sensation. Um, And it's been said that nicotine is as addictive and as difficult to quit as, as heroin and as cocaine. There are pharmacologic effects. Um, Again, we talked about some, but it can increase your heart rate, heart muscle oxygen consumption rate, and heart stroke volume. Um, There are psychodynamic effects. We talked about some of these. It could raise alertness, euphoria, and a sensation of being relaxed. We've seen uh, studies have shown that nicotine appears to improve memory and concentration for some people, um, and that's why some people find that it, you know, increases the sensation of wakefulness or arousal. For some people, there could be a reduction in anxiety. Um, so nicotine results in increased levels of beta endorphin, which reduces anxiety. And I mean, again, there are so many things I want to talk about and I feel like I'm rushing here, but we know (laughs) that people who consume nicotine regularly and then stop suddenly, they experience withdrawal. So people Mm -hmm. who stop or attempt to stop smoking e-cigarettes suddenly, they go through, it's, it's very difficult to do so, very similar to quitting actual combustible cigarettes. Um, So these, yeah, sorry, go on. I was going to say, you know, I think that's really important to keep in mind because, I, and I think we'll talk about that maybe on next episode, but but there's nicotine in these e-cigs. And as you just mentioned, you know, some kids are, are vaping up to four pods a day, which is Oof. four packs worth of cigarettes of mm-hmm. nicotine. And that's mm-hmm. an extremely high amount of nicotine. And it's not... It's not the smoke of the cigarettes that's addictive. It's the nicotine. Exactly. So I'll, I'll close things out on my end here with a very lovely and, and uh, <laughs> summary of, of the wide range of side effects and most or- that nicotine has on most organs and systems. And then maybe, Andrea, you can you know, start closing out here. Um, But the circulation of the blood can be affected by increased clotting tendency, arthrosclerosis, which is uh, when plaque forms on the artery wall, enlargement of the aorta. We know that there are side effects in the brain, dizziness, lightheadedness, irregular and disturbed sleep, bad dreams and nightmares, and possible blood restriction. There are GI effects, so nausea and vomiting, dry mouth, indigestion, peptic ulcers, diarrhea, and heartburn. We know that the heart can experience the following after ingesting nicotine or inhaling nicotine. Changes in heart rate and rhythm, an increase in blood pressure, constrictions and diseases of the coronary artery, and an increased risk of smoke. If a woman smokes uh, or, you know, takes in nicotine while pregnant, the following risks are likely in the development of the child. Obesity, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, respiratory difficulties, infertility, problems with brain development, and behavioral issues. And there are other effects. And again, we ha- there's a laundry list of things that we want to get through here. But people also experience spasms in the lungs, pneumonia, tremors and pain in the muscles, 
increased levels of insulin. Andrea, you were talking about this. Um, in insulin and insulin resistance, which can contribute to the risk of diabetes and joint pain. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, Jess, I think, I think the big takeaway here is nicotine – you know, when we inhale it is, or even, you know, when it's transdermal right across the skin in the, say, the patches um, that I use to quit, it, it's systemic, right? Meaning it, it diffuses very quickly into our bloodstream. It binds with those nicotinic acetylcholine receptors that are found all, all around our body, particularly in the brain, the muscles, and other tissues. And what that means is nicotine can have dramatic effects on all sorts of organ systems in our bodies. And while some of those kind of immediate effects, like the reduction in anxiety and the increased wakefulness and things like that, that's really where the appeal comes in. But there are all these other detrimental consequences because of the cellular damage as a result of nicotine, the immune system suppression as a result of nicotine, and interfering with all these normal cellular processes like the glucose insulin pathway. Mm-hmm. Thank Thank you for the big picture. I get a little carried away here. Um, so, so next week we'll talk about other harms of e-cigarettes, even beyond nicotine. I think we'll talk about. Um, we actually we got uh, we heard from the herd. They want to know what is popcorn lung. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to spend some time talking about flavorings and e-cigarettes. Um, Andrew, I think you found some interesting studies on the the flavorings themselves. Mm-hmm. And how they could be harmful, right? And then we're going to dive into the literature. So, can e-cigarettes actually help smokers quit? And then we'll look at, you know, do they lead to smoking initiation among non-smokers? And then I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about how they are regulated. So, lots on the agenda. I don't even know how did we think we were going to cover all of this in one episode? <laughs> no. I don't know. We're being very very audacious yes. uh, this morning, I think. Yes. But um but yeah, I think this is a a very logical stopping point. There's a lot more material to get through next week. But we are going to save that for another episode. Take us home, Andrea. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. We hoped you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please also check out our website at www.unbiasedscipod.com where you can find all of the links and show notes from our episodes. You can actually listen to episodes directly on the website. You can leave us a donation and you can pick yourself up some merch. Next week, as you guessed, we're going to do part two on e-cigs. So we're going to talk, as Jess just mentioned, a little bit on some of the other harms aside from nicotine. We're going to talk about whether or not they can help with smoking cessation. And we're going to answer the question about popcorn lung. We will be continuing to provide updates on COVID-19 on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us there on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah.